Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Build Guide and College of Pharmacy. It is it's my favorite month. It's March. Got NCAA basketball. We've got baseball spring training, and um, we have something that's a bit of an um, a rare occurrence on the podcast. Is we get to talk about a cooperative group study. So this is. Primarily, we're going to talk about SWOG 1801, uh, which is or S1801, which is a phase two study published um, last week in the New England Journal of Medicine, Neoadjuvant Adjuvant, or Adjuvant Only Pembrolizumab in Advanced Melanoma. Now, most of the studies that uh, are p- practice changing or, partic- or um, potentially practice changing are funded. Uh, by the pharmaceutical company with uh, an interest in the drug uh, and uh, the study protocol is often designed by the the study sponsor, the the drug company, in conjunction with some academic authors. Um, This is a a study funded by the National Cancer Institute here in the United States and the study sponsor. Um, However, um, SWOG, NCI, they're the ones designing the study and the protocol and all the amendments, all the methods and analyzing it. So uh, they get some money from the drug company, but it's all the the academic sponsors designing the study and analyzing it, which doesn't happen as much as it used to. So let's talk about this really interesting study. Uh, It is just a phase two study, so it's it's relatively small, so about 300 patients here. So these are patients with um, advanced melanoma, but not metastatic necessarily. Uh, So either stage 3B, 3C, 3D, or stage 4 with oligometastatic resection that's considered feasible. Uh, So so typically, and I've I've kind of harped on this in the adjuvant pembrolizumab study in renal cell carcinoma, once a cancer has spread from its its house, from its home site, typically the you know the horses escape the barn. It's it's incurable. And adjuvant therapy is probably a bit of a misnomer. Now melanoma is a, a bit of an odd disease. It's kind of like the whack-a-mole game. I'm sure I've used that analogy before, where you can keep sometimes uh, patients with advanced disease that are lucky. They'll have a, a, a spot pop up. It's just one spot you cut out. A couple years later, another spot pops up. You cut it out. So it's kind of like that whack-a-mole game at the arcade. So it's I think it's it's um, it's fair to enroll stage four patients here, um, but all these patients had to have uh, surgery that was planned to deem feasible, even if they were stage four. And there were there were fewer than 10% of people with stage four disease uh, in this trial. And they are randomized one to one, either to uh, pembrolizumab every three weeks for three doses, then surgery, then pembro every three weeks for 15 more doses, 18 doses total of pembro, or surgery right away and then pembrolizumab for 18 doses every three weeks. So both groups are getting the exact same amount of drug. If you look at any of the other industry-sponsored studies with immune checkpoint inhibitors, it's no immune checkpoint inhibitor or like 20 years of immune checkpoint inhibitor, okay? So this is a a perfectly fair comparison of amount of drug given and and asking the question based on uh, some some breast or some, uh, what do they call it? I think it was breast cancer models. Uh, in uh, yeah, two breast uh, mouse models suggesting that neoadjuvant treatment was better than adjuvant treatment. So this is doing three cycles of neoadjuvant pembro, then surgery, and 15 of adjuvant pembro versus 18 adjuvant cycles of pembrolizumab. 154 in the neoadjuvant group, uh, and then 159 in the adjuvant alone group. 
The primary endpoint was event-free survival, and uh, the authors say they, they uh, would need 104 event-free survival events, say that twice, to have an 81% power to detect a hazard ratio via the log rate test of 0.64 with a one-sided alpha of 0.15, which based on my math would be a two-sided alpha of 0.3, and then they don't ever report the hazard ratio for that. Uh, in any event, at a median follow-up of 14.7 months, so median follow-up of a year and two months, they give you a two-year landmark event-free survival result, even though a good portion of the patients have not reached that two-year event-free survival. Um, so despite that, the two-year event-free survival rate in those who got neo adjuvant for three cycles, surgery then adjuvant, versus just adjuvant, 72% if they got neoadjuvant treatment versus 49% with adjuvant. Uh, and uh, those, those values the, um, are statistically significant. They give a p-value of 0.004. So very wide difference. And you can see the, um, the Kappa-Meyer curve uh, are, are really impressive in, in how they separate. And the neoadjuvant followed by adjuvant has plateaued after a year. Again, median follow-up of 14 months, so not much more than a year. Uh, whereas the adjuvant group doesn't plateau until about uh, 18 months, but still has uh, a bit of a drop-off here. So there's um, certainly a, a really nice efficacy signal here. There's still short follow-up for this. And um, so long-term follow-up will be needed in overall survival area immature as well. So I think it's really interesting to see this. Um, it's, a, it's a nicely designed study. It's asking a very good question, and we get some good information. And this continues the trend that we are seeing of using neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitors, whether it's medicine or advanced non-small cell lung cancer, uh, mismatch repair deficient or MSI high, uh, rectal, colon, gastric cancer. Uh, we're seeing this trend a lot more of, of uh, moving these immune checkpoint inhibitors prior to surgery and trying to get some, uh, some faster immune uh, uh, activity. Okay, so that's the, that's the big kind of update. So more is coming with this, and the authors state that there are ongoing studies either recruiting uh, or in development looking at the in metastatic melanoma using neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor to eliminate the need for surgery or adjuvant treatment or even both. So there's, there's going to be more coming in this space in metastatic melanoma. Okay, while we're talking adjuvant, let's talk adjuvant abemocyclib in breast cancer. So um, abemocyclib had an approval with endocrine therapy from a couple years ago uh, based on uh, the Monarchy study, which was Monarch like the butterfly with a capital E on the end, Monarchy. So this was um, high-risk uh, patients with breast cancer, high-risk for recurrence, and high-risk was uh, defined uh, as either four um, uh, axillary lymph nodes with disease, um, one to three lymph nodes with disease, if, if they had less than four lymph nodes, it was grade three or a five centimeter tumor. That was, the, that was like 90% of the people in the study, they called that cohort one. And then there was a cohort two, where uh, they had you know one to three lymph nodes, but it wasn't grade three, it was a smaller tumor, but it was a KI-67 above 20%. So that was the original approval, included that KI-67 above 20%. These, these patients got a bemocyclib for two years along with endocrine therapy compared to just endocrine therapy alone. Uh, the FDA updated uh, the approval to remove the KI-67 requirement. So the approval is just for this cohort one. So four lymph nodes, or one to three lymph nodes with a high risk feature like a grade three uh, tumor or a, a five centimeter tumor. Um, 
Of note, in cohort two, so these were the, the patients that uh, didn't have the high-risk features but did have a KI-67 above 20% and one to three lymph nodes, there were twice as many deaths in the, the abemocyclic group, 10 versus 5. Very small numbers, and the overall survival data were immature, but that appears to be, um, quote, therefore the indication was restricted to cohort 1. Not sure what to make of this, um, because in cohort 1, there, there was benefit in both high and KI-67. In cohort 1, there were some, some patients who had high KI-67, and, and they still benefited, but they had other high-risk features uh, like, uh, like lymph nodes of more than 4 or a grade 3 disease uh, or a tumor above 5 centimeters. So that has been updated. Another uh, update with uh, this study that came out is initially the 24-month invasive disease-free survival, the magnitude of benefit was somewhere in like the 2 to 4% range. So this now at 48 months, invasive disease-free survival is 85.5% versus 78.6%, so that benefit is going on even after two years after stopping abemocyclob, so, so some stronger data coming out for adjuvant abemocyclob uh, in this setting um, as well. All right, last update. It's hard to say it's an update. It's this silly thing where they do the, pe the press release from the drug company, and this is Ad Aura. Ad Aura, the adjuvant Ocimertinib. Three years, we're calling that adjuvant three years, that's a lifestyle change. That's not adjuvant treatment. Um, so so the, the lifestyle change of OC Mertinib for three years compared to, I think it's best supportive care, apparently shows an overall survival benefit. Uh, we will want to wait to see how many of the patients with the best supportive care got prompt treatment with OC Mertinib uh, or another EGFR uh, uh, targeting uh, kinase inhibitor. Uh, we know that they could receive that at progression based on the site design, but we'll see how many did. Um, so, uh, I'm sure that'll be, when is this? This is, this is March, but it'll probably come ASCO in June, maybe, I guess is when that will be presented at a national meeting and we'll get probably a, a conjunction publication in the New England Journal of Medicine, I would, I would guess, maybe. Who knows? We shall see. Uh, well, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDeetNip, and you can follow both, uh, uh, the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember... Doses matter.